Welcome to the Global Robotic Assisted Surgery Podcast, or GRASP for short. We release weekly podcasts featuring insights from leading surgeons and other surgical professionals. Our host for today is Professor Hitendra Patel, who is a global key opinion leader in robotic assisted surgery, a global key opinion leader in telesurgery, and editor in chief of the World Journal of Clinical Oncology. We hope you enjoy the GRASP podcast. Welcome to the Global Robotic Assisted Surgery Podcast. I'm Professor Hitendra Patel, and welcome to the audience both watching and listening. I'm grateful today that we have an excellent robotic bariatric surgeon, uh, Dr. Sami. Um, welcome, Dr. Sami. Thank you very much, sir, for this kind uh, introduction. Thank you very much. Um, just before we start and get into the nitty gritty about robotics, uh, the audience uh, are always keen to know how a surgeon gets from the dream of being a surgeon to actually getting there. And in particular, with your, in your case, uh, how you then went on to become a robotic surgeon and a robotic expert. Okay, thank you, sir. Uh, in fact, it is, for me, it was a difficult journey. So I want to talk about myself a little bit. It was a difficult journey because when I started to think to be a robotic surgeon, it was in 2010. At that time, uh, robotic surgery was not that popular in the Middle East. Uh, so I had to search where I have to go. In fact, uh, where I have to be to get a training, where, from where I have to start. So what if the starting point is the keyboard, where you have to start. So I can get this training. So at that time, I started to search, in fact, in the whole world, uh, which area is, for me, is easy to go and uh, to get a fellowship for uh, robotic surgery. And uh, initially, I want to be a political surgery at the same time. So I applied for many countries. One of them was Korea, South Korea, Seoul. So and I have been accepted there in Sebrans Hospital. And uh, I stayed with them. Initially, they accepted me for two years. Then I extend another one year more to get more uh, training. Uh, in fact, I was the first Saudi to go there uh, in South Korea, and uh, it was a little bit for them. It is difficult, but uh, we adapted within three months for the li living there, you know, new cultures, for them to know Arabic uh, people is a little bit difficult. So I started uh, to be robotic from that point. Uh, it was hard, and uh, you know, as a first one, you have to work harder to to gain more uh, and uh, to get your to, to be fulfilled with your uh, requirements. Uh, in fact, I went there. Uh, the volume of cases was high, uh, uh, like around two thousand cases of uh, colorectal cancer have been done per year. Uh, most of them done uh, laparoscopic or robotic or open, but most of them minimal invasive. And uh, I started learning robotic by uh, dry lab initially, and then animal lab, and then I upgraded to uh, human cadaver, and then I started in a human being to do uh, some colorectal cases. So this is the first thing when I started uh, robotic surgery there. So the, uh, I started just yeah. before we go, before you carry on. Sorry, just to, um, when you went to South Korea, I mean most young doctors who are traveling for fellowship training 
if they're going to another country, I mean, what was the language like? I mean, how did you communicate with them? Yes, uh, basically I communicate in English language. Uh, though there, there is uh, around five major hospitals there, they are speaking English, all of them. Yeah. And uh, even the reporting in the system, radiology, whether notes or everything is written by English language. And uh, the professors there usually they spend around one or two years in, from their fellowship in the past in in uh, United States, so they know how to speak English with me. So the communication was not uh, an issue with me there. Uh, because it was in English. So just I'm just saying because people are get apprehensive about traveling abroad. And I think some of the best places to learn are not necessarily where you live. And so I think that's a great thing you've done. I mean, I went to the Samsung Hospital in uh, South Korea also, where they spoke perfect English um, and had a great time with them. Wonderful people, actually. Wonderful. Anyway, so please continue. So you went to South Korea and then... Uh, you went into human surgeries, and what happened next? Yeah. Uh, then from there, I started uh, uh, to work in robotic, laparoscopic, minimum invasive. I saw the all rare and common cases in colorectal cancer, whether or benign. And then I had to take, after that, uh, uh, six months of my training in France in Nantes University Hospital to do uh, fecal incontinence uh, surgery. There because it was not that um, in the unit in the where several hospital are not treating fecal incontinence it was separate, and uh, I learned also magnetic anal sphincter, sacral nerve stimulations, and all those stuff and uh, proctology. In fact, also like rectal prolapses, uh, stapler, whatever. And also I did with them exchange knowledge. So I started with them the first cases of robotic uh, colorectal surgery there in France and Nantes University at that time. So they teach me minimally, uh, they teach me uh, uh, fecal incontinence of pelvic floor disorders, and then I teach them in the same time uh, robotic. And then I have to spend uh, one in Brussels, uh, uh, free university there uh, for uh, bariatric surgery. I spent one year there also. I worked laparoscopic and uh, uh, some robotic cases there. So this is my whole journey, in fact. Then I came back to my country to start, in fact. Yeah. Just tell me, uh, when you got back, were you frustrated? Because it wasn't the same as being uh, in one of these hospitals performing all this work? Or how did you feel about coming back? Yes, I, I came back uh, actually enthusiastic. I want to do more. Cases and want to apply what I learned and what knowledge I get, what the technology, new technology I gain. But in fact, uh, initially I found a resistance uh, from most of the hospitals, especially those they have robotic uh, machine there, but uh, they don't have robotic surgeons. Uh, a little bit they they initially they didn't accept me to, to work there. In fact. Uh, so I have to fight and people, they don't know what's the Korean background and why, uh, what's this doctor is coming from Korea, from other countries. So a little bit, the people, they are afraid from me initially. And, uh, in fact, after, uh, I get to Korea here, I have to, uh, get two of my friends after me to work there with me as a fellow. And then, uh, our country, they make a contract with Korea with the five hospital, major hospitals there, to for a surgeon doctor to get a fellowship. 
So it become dedicated, well-known fellowship in our country, and most of the people, the line becomes straight for them. Uh, you, you this is blazed. this is the issue. You have blazed. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. So, so the issue is was difficult to yeah. teach people to to show the people that we are a good surgeon. Okay, yeah. we are not a bad. It is not the the medical or the development it's not only in the west it can be in the east it can be in the south it can be there everywhere in the world they are go- doing good surgeries and good job to help patients so the most important to learn in a proper way and to be a state surgeon at the end were there were there moments where you thought oh i don't i'm not going to bother because there was so much resistance or how did you get through those days those days is better I feel it's a little bit better. Now I'm joining a hospital. They call me for, for a robotic uh, Da Vinci to start up uh, yeah. with them. And uh, initially we, we want to, now we are working and starting up with Da Vinci surgery here. Uh, most of the hospitals, government, they have Da Vinci. In fact, but position to get recruited there or to get a, a position there is very difficult. And private hospital now in Saudi Arabia, we started now in two private hospitals. They got uh, Da Vinci. Uh, in the Middle East, uh, you can find also in Emirates, in Qatar, in Oman. Uh, they started also a robotic surgery in all bri- most of the private hospitals there. They have it in Egypt also at the same time. We should, so, uh, we should just say that there are multiple robotic platforms available now around the world. Uh, there are at least. Yes. Eight different systems, and I think they all have their role to play. Um, but but just if we just keep, keep I'll just uh, you've you fought through all the things. Now you're being invited to train other people. They've set up the fellowship program because of your work between your country and South Korea. Um, so that's a great success, isn't it? You've changed the behaviour and the minds and the hearts of many people. Dr. Sammy, yes? Yes, of course, I'm sure. And uh, now I'm happy that to see most of fellows when they came back from Korea. They are uh, excellent doctors and working in uh, major centers in Saudi Arabia here. And, uh, they are doing good jobs, many minimal invasive with a laparoscopic and robotic surgery and also in open cases. So I think uh, this is a good place to discover in the world. So let me ask you, with you sending all your fellows and younger doctors to train in robotics your role now do you have to be more aware about those operations that require some open surgery are you do people have to call you to help with open surgery now because maybe they're a bit de-skilled because they only learn robotics what is your what are your thoughts on that uh, what i think the people when they go to choose a center for a fellowship. They have to choose a center with high volume of cases. Why? Because when you get high volume, means you have to see the different approaches. You will see open, you can see laparoscopic, you can see robotic. If you choose only a low volume, maybe you will see only a little minimal invasive cases like laparoscopic or robotic. You will not get adapted to open cases also. So when you get an open, you will stuck sometimes to to operate. But uh, in fact, when I go to Korea there. We saw all. We saw open, we saw laparoscopic, we saw robotic, uh, depending on the stage of the disease, on the cancer, on the, uh, the difficulties, sometimes insurance uh, affecting also the operation. So 
this is many factors, but for the sailing, he has to learn all, in fact. But if he cannot catch all, this is definitely, it is not a shame to call for help. Of course, uh, most of us, we do laparoscopic, for example, cholecystectomy. But uh, when it is, uh, they finish maybe fellowships or maybe some of the doctors, they finish all their, their careers without doing open cholecystectomy. So yeah. it is not a shame to call for help for others from others. And it's okay to learn the techniques, wherever it is. Uh, I, I want to also to point something more. During this, my fellowship, I did some courses and training in United States, in uh, Germany also. It is the, those courses also uh, in also Switzerland. They helped me also in my career. I did uh, some single board cases. I get transanal uh, excision of cancers. I get also uh, robotic cadaveric uh, also in, in Switzerland. I get proctology, dedicated proctology course uh, in Germany. So uh, I traveled a lot around the world. So to gain more and to make the things all together, right? West and East, where we have to go. I think uh, I did. I, yes, exactly. One of the main issues you're pointing out is that surgery is not just in the operating room. There's lots yes. of before and after, right? If you want to manage the patient well. And uh, clearly, by traveling, you're seeing so many different things. Um, that's got to be a bonus. So, so let me ask you, um, when you were training for robotics, uh, one of the things that has come up before, maybe you can give us your opinion, how do you pick a case? You know, what makes you go, that's a robotic case? I mean, what makes you think that? How do you go about that process? Okay. Uh, let me first comment about the surgeon is not an operating room. <laughs> this, I like this comment <laughs> because, because this is was the word of my professor. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what, what, during my fellowship, uh, in fact, usually our professor gave us a task to do a research in the same times while we are doing a clinical work. So we have to stay in the hospital until sometimes 12 midnight. Uh, after 9 o'clock p.m., we finish procedures and then we have to stay doing our research. Why? Because he said, when you do a paper, means you are keep updating yourself and reading more papers. So he's keeping up our knowledge. So based in OR, he will not give you more cutting. It's based on depending on how progressing your research. So during my stay there, I had to do around 14 paper, uh, most of them in robotic. So I have to work hard in research to get more gain and, and again cases and OR. So this is uh, means I have to gain knowledge. I have to know how to approach patients. So now we can go to your question. So how can I select my patient in robotic surgery? In fact. Uh, as you know, uh, sometimes in my presentations, but I do, I, I, I draw a curve, uh, uh, depend on the, uh, the case, situation, and the surgeon skills. So, uh, if the, if the case is, is a low case, or for example, what we call a simple case, and the surgeon has a low, uh, skills, this is suitable for him. So, for example, if you can start doing, uh, sigmoid cancer or, uh, lab uh, or robotic cholecystectomy. This is, is a good for less skillful surgeon. It's okay for him. He will enjoy it. He will uh, do better. 
But after some times, your skills is going up, means you have to upgrade your cases. So you cannot stay on also simple case. So this is the care which has to go with you up. So once you get more skills, more upgrading. Now we can do uh, in the past, for example, they sell, they don't select uh, T4 cancer patient, those the, the cancers that adhere to other organs. Uh, but nowadays, if you get more skills and more experience, you can do also T4 cases. So whatever you can do in laparoscopic, you can do it in robotic. It is the, the same selection, in fact, for me. Uh, in, in the past, you know, Da Vinci, which is the first machine started in the past, uh, it was not suitable for multi-quadrant abdominal surgery. Uh, but nowadays, when they change with XI, uh, it becomes okay for multi-quadrant abdominal surgery for total collection, for example. Uh, so for selection, I can do every case that I can do it in minimal invasive and laparoscopic. It can be done in robotic. This is in summary. Okay. So, when would you not apply robotics to a case? I will not apply if I'm not sure about my anatomy inside. So, uh, I will not go with a robotic or laparoscopy. I have to go open. If the anatomy is difficult anatomy, and uh, you are not sure where I were going, so this is the limitations for the surgeon. He, should, he, should, he cannot proceed there. Emergency, uh, for example, uh, bleedings or something like this. Also, you cannot go there initially. The patient unstable case, you cannot operate uh, robotic or with a laparoscopy. So you have to be selective. Patient has to be stable, elective. You are going there, and uh, the patient and the anatomy has to be clear uh, from the beginning. You can do it visualizes. You can do whatever, but if the organs anatomy is not very clear for you, you cannot proceed. So here you have to know your limitation and convert to orbit. So, so I mean, that's very sensible advice. I mean, essentially, you talked about learning curves before, about case selection, but also have the bravery to say, no, this is not the right tool to use for this particular procedure. I think that's, uh, would you, I mean, would you agree that, you know, this, these technologies are basically tools, but ultimately, you know, the surgeon's still the surgeon, whatever type of tool they're using. So it's selecting the right tools. So so um, in terms of uh, energy, uh, we had a few people talking about energy. Okay, so I'm talking about uh, different tools as we've had evolution in robotic technologies. So what's your favorite energy device to use in your specialty? Okay, good. Uh, you are, I agree with you. It's a tools. Uh, it is an intelligent tool, actually. In the robotic, I can mention it like an intelligent tool because yeah. laparoscopy also a tool, but the robotic a little bit different. It's an intelligent tool. It can give you reflections. Uh, in fact, for energy, my favorite is the scissor. Yeah. I use monopolar. Most of my dissection was a monopolar. Uh, in bariatric, yes, we use the, the visual uh, device because in our country still we didn't get the synchrosphere which is available I think in the uh, West. Uh, we if we get it it will be better than visual sealer which is a little bit is big in the visual sealer. This is in bariatric but however in most of my cases I use scissor as a monobolar and then the second hand you can have standby bipolar 
uh, as well. So you're a very skillful surgeon using monopolar. So, so um, if we just move it on a bit now. You mentioned bariatric surgery. So, in terms of your practice, what percentage of your surgeries are bariatric? Uh, will you practice? Uh, to be honest, it's fifty percent. Oh, it's bariatric. Okay. Yes, our 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 obesity rate in Saudi Arabia is very high. Yes. So most of cases we can do bariatric is fifty percent. The other fifty, it will be general surgery, including colorectal surgery. So the uh, one of the things about bariatric patients, as you know, is the Trendelenburg position. Uh, so you know, at, let's call it extreme positioning on the operating table. How do you manage that when you're operating? What do you? What are? You, what are your? Any tips or tricks you want to share with the, the listeners and the viewers? Yes. Uh, in fact, for uh, start by bariatric. Bariatric usually I use uh, four chokers for the patient. Uh, one of them is uh, ten millimeter for the stablers, and the rest is eight millimeters. I put them in one line uh, around twenty centimeter from the Z-point process. Uh, in fact, I'm a little bit different from the others. I don't use uh, uh, a nephron retractor in the, the gastric area. I use the fourth arm in. Uh, in fact, in, which is in my left side, I use it to retract the liver. So this is the fourth arm for liver retractor. Yeah. And then my left arm, I hold the stomach high sky up. And my right arm, I use the visual sealer to open the lizard sac and operating like this way. It is exactly the same what we are doing in laparoscopic. We use only four boards. In robotic, I use the fourth board. So I utilize the fourth arm there to lift up the liver. If I needed to take the stomach, a fundus, I can use it just to curve it down because it is curved tip grasper. It's just I curve it down and I hold the stomach like this. So it is, uh, it's very, for me, it's very easy to use it. And uh, I use the stapler from my left hand and uh, right hand I use the visual sealer. So with this, I can do, for example, sleeve, weather or bypass, whatever the case, in the same position. So it will be all in one line. That's very clever. So thank you. That's a nice little trick. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people will be hearing, listening to that and uh, trying it. Um, so uh, is there anything, if you had a wish list, okay, Dr. Sami, and so let's say in five years' time, you're asking for something now but to be delivered in five years. Is there anything that you think you haven't got now that you'd love to have in a few years' time? For your robotic uh, surgery patients and the, the tools you're using? Uh, yes. Uh, in fact, what, what I think before, uh, let me tell you something. And during when I learned initially, I learned on the SI system. Yeah. Uh, SI system, you know, there is many disadvantages, and I, I published a paper also about the disadvantage of the SI system at that time. And then after that, they make the XI system based on what is the disadvantage there. They make it more thin arms, long instrument, can be used in multi-quadrant abdomen. Uh, robotic, as I said, we are thinking it will be more in the future to become more intelligent. Like now what we get in a stabler. Stabler, for example, in sleeve gastrectomy, when we do in bariatric, we put the stabler there. And the robotic is reading, is this stabler is, can fit? or this thickness of the stomach, or no, I have to change, or it has to make more compression. So the robotic is clever, can make more compression, can bust, 
and more compression in canvas. So uh, it, it will it will give you it will help you actually in, in, in figuring what 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 you are doing there. In future time, I, I think we can develop something more and more intelligent that can give us uh, more and more information and reflecting more information about the case inside. Okay, uh, so what can stabler can I use before I open the stabler? What how can I measure the thickness? Is there anything to measure before I bought a stabler? Before I open the stabler, in fact, because if it's opened, means it is used and you lost the money there. So this is one thing. The second thing, development of the diesel sealer device. I think in the world it's still it's in, I think it's still in the beginning. Diesel zero that we currently have is not that suitable for all cases that the surgeons they can use. Although there is a still harmonic robotic, but uh, still it is not interested. Maybe in the future it will become interested harmonic, which is good to have ultrasonic and uh, uh, versus uh, visual sealing only. In, in, in colorectal, usually in laparoscopic, I use ultrasonic devices. I learned also, I trained uh, in SP system. SP system, and, and it, 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 we get it in Korea a few years ago, and I have been there. I go there again. I get a training on the SP single port uh, uh, system, so where you can do this procedure in just one uh, opening there, uh, two and a half centimeter. You, just put your instrument there and can work and it went uh, success there. So I think the future is coming for robotic. Uh, each time they develop something different. Uh, however, uh, the machines is still, we think it's big as any machine started in the world. And then I think it will become smaller and smaller. Yeah. So, so what in summary, machine size, uh, business sealer uh, and interesting uh, harmonic of we can get and more and more intelligence uh, about the knowledge that we can get it from the robotic to ourselves. I can see a new career for you in developing these things. That'll be your next role, right? No doubt. Because that, oh, those, are, no, those, no. those are exactly the sort of things where, you know, more intelligence, you know, um, putting a brain on the robot, great idea. Uh, better yeah. energy devices, great idea, you know. I think all these things are happening with more competition. So I think it's it's coming. Yes. I agree with you. I agree. Um, well, listen, um, before we finish, this is one, I've got one more thing to ask you. You told me about yourself and your career, but how about you as the man? I, um, what do you like to do to relax? What are your, do you play sport? Do you like to listen to music? What is your, what are your passions? Okay, it's more difficult question on that. <laughs> <laughs> life is very difficult and very hard, you know. Yeah. <laughs> if we can get if we can get the time for our family, I think this is the best. I yeah. think for me, if I want to relax, I will sit with my family. This is the first thing okay. to relax. Well, my life is a little bit, you know, stressful. Uh, you know, we are a surgeon. We get uh, to our our, our thing. To make us happy is when to operate. In fact, yeah. uh, I like operations because operations is not something just to do for a human. It's an art, in fact. Cutting in robotic is something we call it art. Yeah. It is like painting or singing or whatever. It is an art. Yeah. If you master this art, you will love it. So yeah. it will become your life. Uh, the other 
side, I sometimes I do sport. Yes, I do go gym and something like this. But uh, most of the time, I have to sit also with my family and talk to, talk to my children, give them some time, make them happy. This will feel me and happy and relaxed more. Uh, this is something important. If you give me five minutes just to comment about colorectal procedures uh, in quick oh, uh, yes, one minute. Yes, of course, of course. Yes. Uh, in, in colorectal is a little bit different than from other procedures in the body and robotic, especially because uh, we call it multi-quadrant surgery. Uh, in prosthetic, you are dealing with one area in uh, bariatric, one area in cardiac surgery, one area, thyroid, one area. However, the colorectal surgery is you are doing from up in the chest down to the pelvis is a little bit difficult. So surgeons here, that's what I can tell them. You have to think about your port position, where the specimen can be extracted, and uh, how can you do the procedure, what's your approach, uh, vessel sealer, that device you have to use. Uh, uh, in fact, it is not an easy task. Uh, uh, you have to decide intracorporeal anastomosis versus extracorporeal anastomosis. Okay, this is all you have to get and learn about it. Uh, with time, we are advancing. We are doing intracorporeal stomosis to make our incision smaller, to make it away from the whole body down like thin steel or something that cannot be seen hidden. Uh, I think the surgeon must think more broad out of the box rather than just when he will do something inside. Try to utilize the whole robot, uh, utilize your fourth arm, how to use it. Utilize, uh, for example, uh, ICD. Uh, and Dusan and Green to know about your anastomosis status, about the visuals there. So I utilize the robotic stapler, uh, which is available now. So all this, you can utilize it to get comfortable with robotic system. In fact, uh, this is just a, a little comment, uh, for, uh, colorectal because colorectal, most of the time where we need an assistant. In laparoscopy, we need at least two assistants. While if you do it robotic, you need only one assistant. So this is also reducing human power and cost for you. There, there are. I mean, there, there, you've said so many things in there. We mentioned That's ICG. A my comment. <laughs> we we mentioned ICG yesterday with the liver surgeons using it for partial hepatectomy, the urologists for partial nephrectomy, colorectal surgeons for anastomotic anastomotic integrity. So yeah, I think yes. the ICG guys are getting a good. Uh, it's a one size fits all. But um, so yes. uh, listen, Dr. Sami, absolute pleasure to speak to you, um, and uh, it was an absolute delight. And I just wanted to say, um, I wanted to thank you and say, Dr. Sami, the artist, has a nice ring to it. So you know, when you finish surgery, we'll, uh, we'll maybe we should both uh, start uh, start painting, perhaps, but. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, listen, thank, thank, you. You. thank you so much. And um, it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, this is the Global Robotic Assisted Surgery Podcast. I hope you enjoyed our latest uh, edition. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Robotic Assisted Surgery Podcast, or GRASP for short. Please subscribe to be updated with all of our new podcasts coming out. If you would like to learn more about robotic assisted surgery, please go to www.roboticsurgerypodcast.com.